Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Bulls Beat Podcast Show, the Chicago Bulls Podcast. Welcome back to the Bulls Beat Bulls fans. Doug Tonis here with you discussing our Chicago Bulls. And I record this before the Houston Rockets game, after the Dallas Mavericks game, just so you have context of when these comments are made, because, you know, reality often makes your points moot the next day. But hopefully that won't happen because of my insane genius. Probably not. <laughs> Probably wrong uh, as much as I'm right and as much as anyone. So we'll see what happens. Uh, I want to start off with the James Harden trade. Appropriate since we're playing Houston tonight, the Hardenless Houston Rockets. And I think this puts in a few interesting trends for the NBA. First, it used to be the case when a superstar was traded, the team that got the superstar won the trade by a gazillion. And you know what? You're not necessarily seeing that anymore. You know, kind of, maybe, sort of, but like, you know, Anthony Davis goes for a bunch of first-round picks and swaps and Brandon Ingram and Lonzo Ball. Like, that was kind of a heck of a return for Anthony Davis. And then you see Paul George going for a bunch of picks and... Uh, Shea Gilgis Gilgis Alexander and some swaps, a heck of a return for the Thunder. You see Russell Westbrook swap for Chris Paul, which is just a (laughs) laughable steal for the uh, Thunder there. The Thunder really did a great job collecting assets and moving them around. Uh, We'll see if they can do anything with those assets, but they did a really great job there. You see Drew Holiday going for a whole pile of picks, and now you see James Harden. I thought the trend was going to end. I thought it was going to be like, yep, people are going to start sending back 10 cents on the dollar. But nope, the Rockets were able to hold out and basically extract four first-rounders, three swaps, and Karis LeVert for James Harden, which is a, a tremendous return. I was a little surprised they moved LeVert rather than, for Victor Oladipo rather than keeping him. I would have probably kept LeVert in this scenario. I think they're now kind of forced to, to max Oladipo, which to me seems really dicey, but we'll, we'll just see how it works out. You know, I always get nervous about guys coming back from injury, especially guys who kind of rely on athleticism like Victor Oladipo. It reminds me of Derek Rose coming back from an ACL. We've not really seen him perform at a high level consistently, so that one makes me nervous. But the Rockets, you know, that's what, what they did. I understand it if, if Oladipo comes back and plays at a great level. And I think it's going to be interesting to see how all of these trades, when, when these teams trade superstars and get all these draft picks back, how they work out. Clearly, it worked out great for L.A. They won the title, the L.A. Lakers, that is. Uh, dicey for the Clippers, you know, actually. You know, they didn't win the title. They didn't even make it to the Western Conference Finals. And if they somehow struggle this year, and you know, it be interesting to see if Kawhi stays or not. So it'll be, it'd be an interesting move from uh, that perspective to see how, how it works. Wouldn't be surprised if the Clippers end up not enjoying this trade for themselves long-term, especially with the emergence of Shea Gilgis-Alexander. I mean, you could argue uh, you'd be much better off with all your picks in Shea next to Kawhi, but you know Kawhi wasn't going to come if Paul George wasn't there. So it's not really a scenario that is, is plausible. So I guess I should ignore it, even though the value probably would have been better the other way. But, I mean, they did get their guys. They are a relevant team. They are, you know, they're entering this season with championship aspirations. They had them last year. And so I guess in that perspective, you have to be happy. The Bucks probably happy in the short term because they kept, uh, you know, Giannis Antetokounmpo. And if you're able to keep him, then you feel really great, even if you don't win a title, because you're going to be relevant. And if he left you for nothing next, next summer, uh, you'd, you'd be very upset. So that probably worked out with them. And now you have the Brooklyn Nets who take on James Harden. We'll see how that works with them. Interesting side story with that is that Kyrie Irving is just out for personal reasons, but was partying with his sister. Apparently, the rumor is, and we'll just say rumor because he's not addressed it directly and no one seems to know for sure, but the rumor is he was very upset about the uh, capital uh, insurgents and you know felt that there was a lot of racial difference in how the protesters were treated 
And you know, we've seen this as an issue that's very personal to Kyrie in the past. And he seems like when an issue of racial injustice comes up that is very heavy in the media, that his take on that is to stop playing basketball. And you know, he's become maybe just very activist in that way. And obviously, it's his right to do that. Uh, and at some point, though, it's, you know, teams are going to start looking at Kyrie differently because if you're not actually going to be on the court and you're not going to be participating and you want to be a full-time activist, that is your right, but then uh, you are letting down your franchise and you know, the people who are paying you and the people who are paying to watch you, I guess in this, this year, not in person, but still on TV and, and other things like that. So it becomes somewhat of a complicated thing because you still want all the money but you are not going to participate. And so as long as the Brooklyn Nets are okay with it, you know, then, hey, more power to them. Do what you want to do. It's not my business. It's not anyone else's business. It's the Nets' business and Kyrie's business. So if they're going to live with it, then that, uh, that, that's fine. I know I would probably start getting upset a little bit with that if I was management. Uh, allegedly, he's also not happy with Steve Nash. And so maybe that has something to do with it. We'll see how all of this shakes out in the future with them. But they acquire James Harden, probably hedges Kyrie's craziness a little bit and potential lack of ability and injury proneness and helps give Kevin Durant a secondary scorer next to him. So there's a team there now, looks like a powerhouse. I don't know who this team is going to stop on (laughs) defense, but I don't know who's going to have any chance of stopping them on offense except themselves. You've got three absolutely elite scorers, very high-level guys. It will be very interesting to see them play someone like the Bucks, because in the end, I don't know who stops Giannis, and it's still only one ball for them to score, but I maybe like the Nets coming out of the the East now. I don't know. It'll be interesting. It'll be interesting to see how it goes. Uh, But big trade for them, but now they definitely need to win. And the thing that's risky about a lot of these trades, it's not what you're going to lose in the next two, three years. It's when you look at a team... You know, a team like uh, the Nets with Harden and Durant, who are both a little older, not super old, not like on their last legs old, but older enough where if you're not an elite athlete and you don't take elite care of yourself, you could start to dip. And James Harden definitely doesn't look like he's taking elite care of himself. And Durant had an Achilles injury, so there's definitely going to be some some loss there in, in general, particularly in the defensive end. And Kyrie has you know, been perpetually injured through much of his career, so... The risk is really, you know, in years four, five, six, seven, you know, it wouldn't be shocking if you saw this team kind of fall apart or people demand trades or whatever else. And now all of a sudden those picks you gave up could end up being extremely valuable, uh, especially if Houston is able to recover and start building into something somewhat useful by then. But it will be kind of an oddball thing. And I think that'll be one of the dynamics everyone watches, you know, going forward is how these types of trades work. And now that was a super, super long intro into how does this actually impact the Bulls? And I think there's two things that you really kind of look at with this. One, I've seen this rhetoric that is the East just too good to compete? You're not going to beat the Bucks. You're not going to beat the Nets. So just give it up for three years, go into a hard rebuild. And I'm going to tell you, no, you build now. And the reason is because there's always going to be some team in your way. There's always going to be some great collection of talent. Like, you just want to wait to, like, the 1 in 20 years where there's not some super team formed and then try and build? No, you, you do the best thing you can to make your team as good as it can be at the time that's relevant. And now maybe at that point, maybe you still want to go through the draft. You still want to maybe get some assets. You still want to turn some of your players into assets and then use those assets to, to build better players in the future. Like, it doesn't mean you don't ever take the long view. 
But you don't worry about the other quality of the other teams and deciding to take the long view or the short view. What you do is you look at your position and you say, yeah, I could see where I am amounting to something valuable. And if I do, then I maybe want to continue down this path. And if I look at this path, I say, this really isn't going to go anywhere. Like I, maybe I can get to 45 wins, but that's where the ceiling is on this thing. And I'm going to be capped out in this lousy situation and it's just not going to work. And maybe at that point is where you say, I actually want to start building for the long term. And now, you know, from listening on this show, I've been kind of in this view that the Bulls are largely in that point. Like there's this definite ceiling on this team and that ceiling isn't super high. And maybe Chicago needs to trade some guys, get some assets and start really looking towards the future. And looking at the way the team has played recently, you know, on this one and three road trip and how everything has gone, I have to say, maybe I was, I was wrong. Like this team kind of feels like maybe they could get to 45 something wins and then still have a good asset base and then just have to trade somehow for a player to put them over the top, which seems to now be a lot of the model. The, the key here is, and Zach Levine has been unbelievable recently, a little bit off in that last game against Dallas where he didn't score, but unbelievable passing that game. And really against that Thunder game where they blew it at the end, I actually thought Levine for the most part played pretty well at the end of that game too. He had a bunch of passes to wide open guys who missed three-point shots in that fourth quarter and could have easily had like five assists on three-pointers. And just, you know, guys weren't making shots, but I thought Levine actually played pretty decently for the most part. He did have a turnover in there, but I thought for the most part played pretty decently even at the end of the game there. I'm starting to feel like Zach Levine might be a legit second-best player on a title team. This year so far, and we'll see as time goes, we'll see as time goes, but so far this year, he is scoring at an elite volume on an elite efficiency. His efficiency right now is 62.6 true shooting percentage, and his volume is very high. Now, true shooting percentage doesn't factor in the turnovers, and Zach's turnovers are very high, so it's a little bit less than that. But I can finally see Zach say, and Zach, I can finally see the way Zach is playing and say he might really be a legit second-best player on a title team. And if that's the case, he is now worth paying the five-year, $190 million max deal to when he becomes an unrestricted free agent and then trying to figure out how to put another player around him. The thing that really impresses me with Zach is how well he is playing off the ball, how Kobe White has actually helped him by creating another focal point on offense, and Zach actually playing off the ball is really deadly. And this, is, I think, was maybe the primary issue with the Dunn, Lowry, and Zach combination. Part of it may just be these guys need a time to grow and whatever else. But Lowry needs guys to set him up for plays. Like, he needs guys to set him up for plays. He's not going to create on his own. And that creates him as an offensive endpoint, limits what he can do for you from a positive perspective. Zach doesn't need guys to set him up for plays. He can do a lot on his own. He can do a lot in isolation. But he plays a lot better when guys set him up for plays. And Chris Dunn wasn't really enough of a threat and enough of a passer to really set those guys up in great, great situations for plays. And plus, I think probably those guys have gotten better. Now, Kobe White is not a good point guard. I mean, and we'll get to Kobe there later. He's been actually pretty awful. But what we have seen is when Kobe White has the ball and the defense starts to focus on him and they start to charge him or whatever, Zach is getting a lot of much better, cleaner looks. And when he does, Zach is an absolute assassin. And it shows you, like, if you were able to get a really good point guard in there, Zach Levine could really thrive. And so if Zach was playing against a number one player, a really good offensive initiator, I think you would really see, uh, or with, I should say, if he's playing with a number one player, I think you would see a really, really high-level Zach Levine playing. And I think his defense has improved. So I think, I think Zach may 
make the leap to, yes, this guy could be your second best player on a really great team if you have you know, a really good number one player. And so if that is the case, then you just keep him and you try and figure out how else to build around him. And so if that's the case, then that kind of pulls us out of the scenario where maybe you trade Zach Levine. But if you look at the guys who've traded and Zach does have that value, now Zach looks like a guy who's maybe worth one of those super packages at the trade deadline. And so if you're offered one, you know, do you accept this package? And I'm going to run through a list of teams that maybe this will be interesting for. Golden State Warriors. They own Minnesota's pick, top three protected in 2021, unprotected in 2022. And they just drafted uh, Wiseman, James Wiseman, who looks like an intriguing player. Would you take the Minnesota pick and Wiseman for Zach Levine, and then you take back uh, Andrew Wiggins to match salaries? Now, Wiggins has two more years after this year on his deal, so it's a bad deal, certainly compared to Zach. It's a bad deal. But he can still score. He can still do, still do something. Like I, I think Wiggins, while overpaid and not a great player, it's not like he's worth zero. Like he'd probably still command $10, 15000000 million on the open market and just not like $33 million. So it's, it's probably like negative $30 million in total salary if you take him on. You get this elite draft pick next year, or at least a, a pick that projects to be pretty elite next year, and you get a player that looks like maybe a potential elite player. Uh, so that, that's option number one. Now, because... Golden State traded their 2024 pick. They don't, and I think they moved their 2021 pick. They can't actually trade any other first rounders until 2027, and maybe even not that because I think the 2024 pick has some weird protection on it where it can scale back. And so, anyway, ignoring all that, you're not going to get future draft picks. So that would be it. That'd be what you get for Zach. Those that uh, Minnesota pick and and uh, James Wiseman, and I think that would be probably two pretty high potential players. So that's option number one. Oklahoma City Thunder, I don't know what picks they're going to give you, but they got like 18 of them. And they basically have to trade a bunch of picks because they don't even have enough roster spots to hold all these guys on through their rookie contracts. So they have a few that are really exciting. You know, potentially some of these Houston picks are exciting. Potentially some of the far out Clippers picks uh, could be exciting. So we'd have to see where things go with them, but they have a a lot of draft picks. Most of the draft picks aren't going to be that great. Uh, A lot of them are things like non-lottery pick or it moves into two second rounders or something like that so we'll see what happens with the thunder but they definitely have a lot of picks and the thunder might be interested in this because they just don't have uh, the ability to probably sign lots of good players just because oklahoma city isn't a great market and so trading for a player maybe makes sense for them the pelicans a similar situation to thunder they've got a ton of extra picks and zach levine next to zion williamson yeah, they probably match pretty well age-wise in terms of how long these guys could play together you know you figure zach's probably got you know, six, seven years left in his prime, which is young enough that you could stick him next to Zion for a super long time and maybe have a, a really great team, especially with the other guys they have on their roster. I think that, that could be intriguing. The Boston Celtics, they don't have much in the way of draft assets, which is probably the difficult thing here. And Zach's maybe a questionable fit next to them, but they're a team that maybe would want to get someone like Levine, though they're, they're kind of wing heavy, so maybe not. I think the Grizzlies are interesting. They got uh, Morant and they got JJJ, some building blocks. And if they could add on to him, uh, they could do pretty well. Uh, they do have a protected pick from Utah and a pick from Golden State that's uh, in 2024 that's uh, lightly protected in addition to their own picks. Would they go really go all in on Zach Levine? Maybe, maybe not. The, the Knicks, they got a couple extra first-rounders from Dallas. Their own picks uh, might have some value. Uh, Thibodeau definitely is not a guy who wants to develop young players, so I could see them doing something. 
the 76ers don't really have a whole lot to trade, but, you know, I think it would be interesting if they would give up Ben Simmons for Zach Levine. And I, I think, like, it, two years ago, people would be like, oh, God, that's the worst trade ever for the 76ers. But I think now you almost got to wonder about that. Like, Simmons and Embiid just don't seem like great fits. Boy, would Zach Levine be an amazing fit next to, next to Embiid. I and mean, Levine would be amazing next to Embiid. And Ben Simmons, you know, probably a greater overall talent and would definitely fit better next to Larry Markkinen if we were to keep Lowry in this situation or, or Wendell Carter, you know. So that would be kind of intriguing. I don't know that Philadelphia would do it, but I think that would be actually really interesting and maybe a good move for both teams. And then, of course, you got the Houston Rockets who got a bunch of picks back from Brooklyn. And if they wanted to get a player, they could do something. So those are kind of the teams I looked at as like, yeah, maybe something could fit here if the Bulls were going to trade Zach Levine for a you know super package of a bunch of picks where maybe it makes sense for both squads, depending on their situation. And so now we're going to get into Kobe White. And, you know, it's interesting. You have to wonder how long, if you're the Bulls, do you let this Kobe White thing go? Like Kobe White is really just not playing good basketball. He's shooting 35% from three, which is just sort of okay, right around the same as last year. He's 40% from the field, which is, you know, not good in general. 52% true shooting percentage, which is off. His turnovers are, yeah, a lot of them. And it, it's funny watching him. Maybe it's his herky-jerky style of dribbling, which is just, he's got this super high dribble, which is, really unorthodox like you just don't see that very often with guys especially great point cards I mean the key to dribbling well if you've ever done any study on how you dribble a basketball personally like the the key to being an amazing ball handler is that you actually keep your hand on the ball as long as possible and so your hand if your hand goes up your hand goes all the way down with the ball to the floor as close as you can and that allows you to move the direction of the ball at the last second and do crazy things and you want a low dribble because what it does is you want to minimize the amount of time the ball is free from being touched and can't be moved where the defender can swipe it away. And so Kobe with a super high dribble like really violates the general principles of like how you want a good ball handler to be. And I think sometimes it's really effective because you don't see it much. It's like so weird looking watching him handle the ball compared to other players. Like he always looks like he's out of control. It reminds me of like the drunk kung fu videos of like uh, the drunken master or something some guy looks like he's all crazy but then he's you know super late if you watch watch any of those type of movies like that is kobe white's dribbling style is like the the drunken ball handler and it's interesting because he is so close to turning the ball over all the time and his turnovers are actually not so bad you know he's at 2.9 per game three for per 36 minutes he's got a two to one assist to turnover ratio which isn't great but it's not so awful, but I just, I, you know, I just don't see him really as a playmaker. He definitely gets his blinders on. And so you just have to ask yourself, like, how long are you going to let this go? Because it hurts, it hurts Lowry, it hurts Zach. You know, I actually think when you saw Tomas Sidoransky or even, even last time in his Dallas Mavericks game, when you saw Ryan Archidiakono come in, like the actual playmaking of guys who are solid playmakers really helps this team. And these, these other guys are, are playing pretty well right now with, with off the ball as long as they have a good playmaker. And Kobe, I think, is really kind of hurting the development of a lot of the other pieces of this roster with his very, very up-and-down play. And so you want Kobe to develop. You want to see, can this guy be a point guard or is he a, a replica of Zach? Is he a guy who needs to be a sixth man off the bench? Because Zach right now does not look to me like a microwave. 
Zach looks to me like a dominant scorer who needs to be in the game like tons of minutes. Kobe me looks like maybe he still just may be a microwave option. And that is, that's the interesting uh, c- comparison there to me. You know, Zach is starting to look a lot like Clay Thompson, just unbelievable off the ball. If he just takes fewer dribbles, and if you just look at like how well he shoots when he takes, you know, two or less dribbles, it's, it's like unbelievable. Like the goal for the Bulls should be like, if you have these rules of like, don't take long twos, a rule for the Bulls should be Zach should not take more than two dribbles. Like if Zach takes all of shots where he's like dribble, dribble, step, step, dunk, or attack the rim, or, you know, dribble, shoot, you know, you know, pump fake one dribble into a shot or whatever, or I'm just going to shoot like those shots. Amazing. Very high efficiency. As soon as he gets into like six, seven dribbles back and forth, crossing over like the turnovers go way up. The uh, shot efficiency goes way down. That's where like all of his trouble is. And, and granted, he has to do that at times to create offense for this team. Like I, I'm not trying to throw him under the bus like, oh, you're so stupid. But if you had a great playmaker, that would be less. And you want to limit that as much as you could with Zach as much as you reasonably could. You want to get him out of that role because that is actually not his strongest suit. And I think that's why Zach will actually be outstanding on a title contender or a team that has a better initiator and a better offensive player than him. As soon as he's not the focus and he gets more of his shots in this like Clay Thompson type mode, I think you're going to see Zach play a whole lot better. And I think if you took Clay Thompson and had to make him be the primary ball handler and create a lot off the dribble, you'd see a lot of inefficiency in his game too and a lot of the same types of problems because that's not his strength. He's just never had... Uh, to have to deal with that. He's never had to come in and do something else. And so, you know, it makes him look a little bit better. So anyway, uh, how long do you stick with Kobe White? I think you still got to give it another month or two, even if it does hurt other guys some. It's just like you got to see what you have here and you got to play through this. And Donovan seems like he's the type of guy who's going to do that. And so now with uh, Lowry coming back and with Archie Diakono coming back and hopefully soon, uh, Sato and to a lesser extent Hutchison. I mean, I, yeah, obviously I hope Hutchison as well. I want him to be healthy, but like in terms of play, I'm not so excited whether he comes back or not. But when these guys come back, it's interesting to see in these first couple games, just with Lowry back, how they staggered the lineup. Because now all of a sudden it's really difficult. Like how do you find minutes for all these guys? And this gets back to the depth of the team. You know, like at first it's like, well, we'll pull Daniel Gafford, you know, but Daniel Gafford was only playing like 10, 12 minutes, you know, prior to, you know, like three or four games prior to Lowry coming back. And so there's not really that many minutes to take from him. And then we saw a lot of these veterans really helping out. And so when you go to this Oklahoma City Thunder game, Thaddeus Young only played 13 minutes. And Thad Young was playing outstanding basketball. He was a plus nine in those 13 minutes, by the way. And so you kind of wonder, like, man, maybe that's, that's actually a, a difficult thing for the Bulls because you're going to either have to play Porter less, Young less, or Lowry just a lot less. And, you know, in that game, Thad was the loser. Now you fast forward to this Dallas Mavericks game, and, you know, Lowry played a few, few fewer minutes. It was 32 minutes a game. But Thad Young, now he's up to 20 minutes. Daniel Gafford still found 13 minutes. They played Otto Porter less. They just went bigger a little bit more often. Uh, they did. Denzel Valentine basically didn't play. And by going bigger, they kind of stole a bunch of minutes from Valentine. But it's just going to be it's going to be interesting and tricky. And, and Kobe White, you know, played a little bit less, too, was maybe the other other piece of that. But it's going to be tricky to figure out how to balance this rotation, because now when Sato comes back, you've got Garrett Temple, who's been one of your best players. And, you know, he's been playing a lot of minutes because Sato has been out. Sato was playing really well before he came out. So he comes back, and now you can't just take Valentine and Gafford out. You're still going to have to take minutes from someone, and the Bulls are going to have a lot of these questions about are we developing guys? Are we 
you know, trying to win games. Like, what is what is our our goal here? Is everyone going to be around twenty five minutes? And I think it becomes a little interesting in that case. Like, what happens with Lowry Markkinen's deal when you do this? Because if Lowry is only playing like twenty something minutes a game, it probably makes him cheaper in the off season, but also may make him kind of mad in the off season uh, because he didn't get a chance to really earn some super deal. And so you'll also have to balance that. So it'll be it'll be a wild choice for Donovan this whole time. And I do think I expect the Bulls to make a move at the deadline, primarily because you have to balance all these kinds of issues. And you have all this extra depth at this point and guys who are actually playing really well. So you, you're going to need to see what you can get. And I, and I think at this point, anyone you look at is like not part of your long-term future, be it Thad Young, be it Otto Porter, you know, even heck, even being Garrett Temple, to be honest, the way this is going, uh, you know, anyone who's willing to give up like a, a first rounder for one of these guys, I think you just take it and you just figure we have enough depth that we'll, we'll figure it out. You know, you just take the future assets. And then, of course, with Lowry and Zach, those are maybe the guys who you're searching for, you know, bigger returns on and to see where things go. And so I think, uh, boy, I feel like I had a, a couple other topics, but they, they slipped my mind. I do think it's going to be uh, an exciting uh, you know, season for the Bulls. If you've not been watching Bulls basketball, I don't know why you're listening to this podcast, but if you're not, it's, it, it's actually, this is a fun team to watch. Their offense is a lot better. They're playing a lot better basketball. They still have these stretches that are painful and difficult to see, but it is a, it is a fun team to watch. And I'm enjoying watching the Bulls again for the first time in a few years, and I think that is really exciting to see. And uh, hopefully we'll get to enjoy a great game against Houston tonight. And I won't be uh, you know, complaining about saying that tomorrow on this podcast about how good the team is after they somehow lose the John Wallace Pistons. But no, Pistons, uh, Rockets. But hopefully we have a, a fun game tonight and that trend continues because I think now the Bulls might be looking like maybe a playoff team, at least a play-in tournament team. I, I, I mean, I... Especially thinking like, man, if those last two minute games both went their way, they'd be seven and six against the schedule that looked kind of hard. I mean, like, and, and they've now played really close in all their games. Yeah, I, I wouldn't surprise me. Wouldn't surprise me. All right, that'll do it for this edition of the Bulls Beat. You can uh, always catch me on Twitter, Doug underscore Tonus, and I'll talk to you guys next week.